All right, good morning. Uh, welcome back. And um, I'm glad you're here, whoever you are. Um, today, Wednesday, September 23rd, this is going to be Sutta Napata number 49. And uh, we'll definitely uh, continue this for the rest of the year. Uh, actually, maybe not. Uh, no, yes, maybe. We'll see. Because we're in the middle of Mahavaga, third chapter. We've got uh, two more, Ataka Vaga, number four, with um, 16 suttas, and the fifth chapter, Parayana Vaga, Vaga means chapter, uh, chapter on the way to the far shore, <laughs> with the far shore is beyond the all, as we've said, which is really, you know, I mean, the raw material makes so much sense in explaining uh, cosmology compatible to help fill out uh, what's missing in many other presentations like Buddhism or Vedanta. They're, uh, the triad of the raw material, uh, raw material metaphysics, uh, all of it, as well as Vedanta or Advaita Vedanta and um, Theravada Buddhism is really very comprehensive, uh, giving us metaphysics and the dynamics of path and uh, analysis of the problem and the way out of the problem. So fifth chapter also just has about uh, 16, 17 other suttas to it. So uh, 33, we've got about 36 or more suttas, so 36 more weeks of this. And um, after this, I may actually read uh, some from Webu Sayadaw, um, some very interesting, um, one of compiled lectures uh, on access to insight. Anyway, today, uh, SN39, Sutta Nipata, Chapter 3, Sutta 9, Vasetta Sutta, about Vasetta, another Brahmin coming to Gautama asking what's important, uh, particularly the same question, uh, what makes a true Brahmin? And uh, as before, with the Sundaraka Bharadvaja Sutta, uh, we see in this Mahavaga third chapter a, a number of suttas where Gautama is addressing questions from Brahmins uh, about uh, what makes his Buddha Dhamma distinct from Brahmanism, the, the, the views of the day. And Tanasara writes it up of, is one worthy of respect because of one's birth or because of one's actions? And so we go again from birth to conduct on the wisdomlibrary.org site under uh, Vasetta, Vasetta uh, the, one of the links, I didn't send that, but note four, Vasetta is a young Brahmin who, with his friend Bharadvaja, maybe the same or not as the other, visited the Buddha and held discussions with him. These discussions are recorded in a few places, actually, in Tevija Sutta, Vasetta Sutta, and Agana Sutta. Buddha Gosha, commentary from the Abhidhamma, or um, Sutta Nipata uh, Atakata, I think, said that Vasetta was a chief disciple of another, a non-Buddhist teacher, Pokharasati. According to him again, Vasetta's first visit to the Buddha was on the occasion of the preaching of the Vasetta Sutta. So this is it. This is Gautama speaking to, Bharad, uh, to Vasetta at the first uh, contact. The, at the conclusion of which he was accepted or into the order, or accepted the Buddha as his teacher, he again did so when at his next visit, 
Buddha preached to him the Tevija Sutta soon after he entered the order. Or so first he accepts Gautama, then he enters the order, and then at the conclusion of the third Agana Sutta, Agana Sutta, he's given the higher ordination and attained Arahanship. So boom, boom, boom. Uh, he uh, finishes the path in with three major contacts with Gautama. Belonged to a very rich family, right? So he has good money karma and renounced 40 crore when he left the world. Um, sorry for the uh, specialists of Indian numerical uh, terminology. Sometimes I've mistaken lakh and crore. It seems that a lakh, L-A-K-H, is 100,000 and a crore is 10 million. So 40 crore is 400 million of something, of the currency unit. So he renounced it. He was also an expert in the three Vedas. And you'll see in the sutta where Gautama is reframing the three knowledges. This may take a couple of weeks. It's not a particularly um, <clears throat> noteworthy sutta to me. Uh, it's re reiterating... The, the nature of awakened conduct and um, perspective, where, you know, the, the simple question, what makes a true Brahman, that is asked to Gautama, is like saying, what makes a true saintly person? Now, the people behind Vasetta, his community, would not commonly accept what Gautama says and says, well, it doesn't matter what you say, <laughs> but... For us, um, one is a Brahmin when there's, quote, pure descent from seven generations of ancestors. And, you know, it's like, what makes sanctity? Is it birth? Is it conduct? Um, that same point was very important, was very, um, was very charged in the spiritual and religious community of, of the day, 2,500 years ago in northern India. Uh, it's still quite charged in India today. It's still quite charged in many places. If you're born to a certain family religion, um, it confers, uh, they believe, a certain sanctity. And Gautama could say, well, uh, what makes a true Brahmin is um, all this awakening and these um, fully transmuted qualities of character and mind and conduct uh, and a, a Brahmin could say, well, you know, th those things are nice, but we can get them too. And um, uh, there is something to our birth, and you don't understand it. And uh, thanks for your teaching, and goodbye. Uh, but we are superior because of our birth. What do you say to that? You can just say, uh, good luck, and uh, take good care. Because... Uh, there's no, <clears throat> there's no winning argument when one doesn't see, um, when, when one is unable to change view. And uh, <clears throat> I think these suttas, there, again, there have been a few of them, um, are more valuable for their enumeration of the qualities of awakened mind. So we're talking about the qualities, and here in this Sutta Vasata, Gautama really says, the true Brahman is me. <laughs> the true Brahman is an arahant, is a fully perfected being, crossed to the other shore, finished with the path. And so, okay, a true Brahman, or a true saintly being, 
is accorded that uh, status or recognition as a true saintly being, um, not by birth, but by conduct and achievement. And the summit is a Buddha or an Arahant. But these are also qualities of awakened mind on the path and ways of checking in, how do I compare? That's how I use them. How do I compare to all these uh, qualities of uh, full awakening <clears throat> that for us who are not fully awakened are partially developed? Okay, So qualities of full awakening that um, we may recognize in ourselves and others in a partially fulfilled form because we're not fully awakened. Uh, the value of those qualities of mind and where we're at, how well we manifest or don't. And in many ways, forcing or trying to be a certain way is, no, is, is a guarantee of not being the way. And so one, <clears throat> if you want something, rather than try to overwrite by thinking and affirmation your current mind or thinking by the ideal uh, of how you conceive it in terms of thinking and feeling of, of some awakened quality. Rather than do that, which I think is the top-down and a kind of spiritual bypassing, better to identify the obstructions to that state and focus on the obstructions um, you know, with compassion and wisdom and understanding and uh, light touch and realize I'm not that way or I'm not so much that way because of this, this, and this, or this, that, and the other thing. And then, okay, well, what? why am I this, that, and the other way that are obstructive to the development of those superior or awakened qualities? What's up with me being uh, stuck here and there in the other place? Then one could see one's attachments and one's mistaken view and one's desires, and some of which was like, a, no, it may be a distortion, but I want to keep it. I want to have more experience. Okay, then one will <clears throat> um, take a slower path <clears throat> and, and suffer accordingly or experience dukkha accordingly, and it may not be much dukkha. And so, uh, but, but focusing on the obstructions, uh, identifying obstructions where where I'm not as I wish I were, how I'm not as I wish I would be, uh, as the impediments to being what I wish to be, or these perfected or uh, high qualities of awakening, of awakened mind. That, that focus on the roots of the blockages, um, I think, goes a whole lot faster or, or works much better than simply trying to overwrite and... Um, redouble affirmation of the positive qualities that we wish to be like you know people are doing affirmation like positive thinking every day in every way I'm better and better well that's great <clears throat> but that doesn't actually address the blockages and that's sort of a again a spiritual bypassing so uh, this second wisdom library link saying that the two young Brahmins Vasetta and Bharadvaja fell to discussing one day at Ichanankala as to what makes a true Brahmin. Bharadvaja, his friend, maintained it was pure descent from seven generations of ancestors with neither break nor blemish in the lineage, right, the importance of blood. Whereas Vasetta contended that virtue and moral behavior made a true Brahmin, right? So there you go. 
the <clears throat> split in the Brahmin community, where some were sympathetic to Gautama's teaching and some were not, uh, is a split seen with these two friends. As neither could convince the other, they agreed to refer the matter to the Buddha, who said that it was not birth, but deeds which made the true Brahmin. And then there are other um, references to this same discussion, even in the Dhammapada. There's a Brahmana Vaga chapter on the Brahmins, the true Brahmana, or saintly one, in the Dhammapada. So that's very interesting. So let's look into the Sutta itself, translated by Tanasaro Bhikkhu and from the dhammatalks.org site. And again, it's a long, it's a somewhat long drawn out sutta. Um, Gautama's quite wordy <laughs> here. And there are lots of interesting uh, footnotes from Tanasaro at the bottom. So let me read it through once, and then uh, I'll do some commentary, and this may go two weeks. So this sutta is identical with another in Majima Nikaya 98, and called Vaseta Sutta. Thus have I heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying at Icha Nangala in the Icha Nangala forest grove. And on that occasion, many well known wealthy Brahmins were dwelling at Icha Nangala, such as Chanki the Brahmin, and Taruka the Brahmin, and Pokarasati the Brahmin, who is considered to be one of these friends' teachers. Janusonin, the Brahmin, who's a little famous, Todeya, the Brahmin, and many other well-known wealthy Brahmins. Right? So this is a tightly knit community, actually. Then, while the young Brahmins Vaseta and Bharadvaja were walking and wandering about to exercise their legs, this conversation arose between them. How is one a Brahmin? The young Brahmin Bharadvaja said, When one is well-born on both sides, the mothers and the fathers, is of pure descent for seven generations of fathers, uncriticized and irreproachable in the telling of one's birth, it's to that extent that one is a Brahmin. Sounds like the negative path bloodlines. The young Brahmin Vasetta said, when one is virtuous and consummate in one's practices, it's to that extent that one is a Brahmin. And there's huge sociological implications for these two ways of seeing what is the saintly. Uh, who is the saintly? Uh, very different, because the second um, one who is virtuous and consummate is very much a one-by-one one matter going on. But neither was the young Brahmin Bharadvaja able to win over the young Brahmin Vaseta, nor was the young Brahmin Vaseta able to win over the young Brahmin Bharadvaja. Then the young Brahmin Vaseta said to the young Brahmin Bharadvaja, Bharadvaja, this Gotama, the contemplative the son or a son of the Sakyans, gone forth from the Sakyan clan, he is staying at Icha Nangala in the Ichang Nangala forest grove. And of that Master Gautama, this fine reputation has spread. Quote, he is indeed a blessed one, worthy and rightly self-awakened, consummate in clear knowing and conduct, well gone and expert with regard to the cosmos, meaning his cosmology is clear, Unexcelled trainer of people fit to be tra to be tamed, teacher of devas and human beings, awakened, blessed. Come, let's go to Gautama the contemplative, and on arrival, ask him about this matter. However, he answers, that's how we'll hold it, which is um, 
an offer to his friend to um, let Gautama settle it and, uh, and abide in his decision or his um, conclusion, which uh, not everybody is willing to do. As you say, Master, the young Brahmin Bharadvaja responded to the young Brahmin Vaseta. So again, Vaseta is the open-minded fellow. Bharadvaja is more um, uh, locked into or holding tightly the view of uh, birth equals Brahmana. So the young Brahmins, Vaseta and Bharadvaja, went to the Blessed One and on arrival exchanged courteous greetings with him. After an exchange of friendly greetings and courtesies, they sat to one side. Everybody's respectful at that time. As they were sitting there, the young Brahmin Vaseta addressed the Blessed One in verses. Master, we are acknowledged and self-proclaimed as masters of the three knowledges. I, a student of Pokharasati, this one of Taruka. Whatever is taught by masters of the three knowledges, the three Vedas, in that we are adept, grammarians and philologists, on a par with our teachers in recitation. We have a dispute, Gautama, on the topic of birth. Bharadvaja says that one is a Brahmin through birth. I say through action. Know this, one with eyes. Neither of us can win over the other. So we come, asking the master, reputed to be self-awakened. As people going with hands palm to palm over the heart pay homage, venerating the moon when it's just past new, in the same way in the world, Gotama, we ask Gotama, the I arisen in the world, E-Y-E, is one a Brahmin through action, or is it through, sorry, is one a Brahmin through birth, or is it through action? Tell us, we don't know how we might know a Brahman. And Gautama replies, quote, I will answer you step by step as it really is. Animals are divided by nature, for their species differ one from another. You know grasses and trees, even though they don't proclaim themselves. Their distinguishing markings are made by nature, for their species differ one from another. Then beetles and moths, down to white ants, their distinguishing markings are made by nature, for their species differ one from another. You know four-footed beasts, small and large. Their distinguishing markings are made by nature, for their species differ one from another. You know belly-footed, long-backed snakes. Their distinguishing markings are made by nature, for their species differ one from another. Then you know fish in the water, with water their range. Their distinguishing markings are made by nature, for their species differ one from another. Then you know birds, with wings as their vehicles, coursing through the sky. Their distinguishing markings are made by nature, for their species differ one from another. While these species have many distinguishing marks made by nature, humans don't have many distinguishing marks made by nature. There was only people, I guess, in India were not so different looking from each other. He said, not through hair or head, not through eyes or ears, not through face or nose, not through mouth or lips, not through neck or shoulders, not through belly or back, not through buttocks or chest, not through groin or intercourse, not through hands or feet, not through fingers or nails, not through calves or thighs, not through complexion or voice. 
there, humans, distinguishing mark is not made by nature as it is for other species. In human beings, that's not found individually in their bodies, but their identification is described in terms of convention. And convention means uh, social position or role. Whoever among human beings makes a living by guarding cows, you know him thus, Vaseta, as a farmer, not as a Brahmin. And then it goes through a whole bunch of these here. Whoever among human beings makes a living through various crafts, you know him as a craftsman, not a Brahmin. Whoever makes a living through trade, you know him as a merchant, not a Brahmin. Whoever makes a living by serving others, you know him as a servant, not a Brahmin. Whoever makes a living through stealing, or through arrow and sword, or through the priesthood, you know them as um, a thief, <laughs> a soldier, or a uh, priest, a sacrificer, not a Brahmin. Meaning, their function is how you know them, not by being called a Brahmin. Whoever, finally, among human beings makes a living of uh, partaking of city and state, you know him as a king, not as a Brahmin. And the reality is actually some people would, some Brahmins would say, no, he's a Brahmin farmer or a Brahmin king or a Brahmin soldier. So this is just his view of how people should rightly, or how people are conventionally classified. He goes on, I don't call one a Brahmin for being born of a mother or sprung from a womb. He's called a bowsayer, if he has anything at all. That's us we'll get into that. But with someone with nothing who clings to no thing, he's what I call a Brahmin. So this is the first uh, statement of how he deem what, what qualities of mind and behavior and conduct Gautama deems of uh, indicative of the true Brahman, the, the appropriate designator, appropriate designators of a sagely saintly one. Someone with nothing who clings to no thing. Going on. Having cut every fetter, he doesn't get ruffled. Beyond attachment, unshackled. He's what I call a Brahmin. Having cut the strap and thong, cord and bridle, having thrown off the bar, awakened. He's what I call a Brahmin. He endures, unangered, assault, insult, and imprisonment. His army is strength. His strength, forbearance. He's what I call a Brahmin. Free from anger, duties observed, principled, with no overbearing pride, trained, a last body, meaning a last body one, meaning he won't come back to incarnation. He's what I call a Brahmin. Like water on a lotus leaf, a mustard seed on the tip of an awl, A-W-L, he doesn't adhere to sensual pleasures, He's what I call a Brahmin. He discerns right here for himself, on his own, his own ending of Dukkha. Unshackled, his burden laid down, he's what I call a Brahmin. Wise, deeply discerning, astute as to what is the path and what's not the path. His ultimate goal attained, he's what I call a Brahmin. Uncontaminated by householders and houseless ones alike, living with no one, with next to no wants. He's what I call a Brahmin. Having put aside violence against beings fearful or firm, he 
He neither kills nor gets others to kill. He's what I call a Brahman. Unopposing among opposition. Unbound among the armed. Unclinging among those who cling. He's what I call a Brahman. His passion, aversion, conceit, and contempt have fallen away. Like a mustard seed from the tip of an all. He's what I call a Brahman. He would say what's non-grating, instructive, true, abusing no one. He's what I call a Brahman. Here in the world he takes nothing not given. Long, short, large, small, attractive, not. He's what I call a Brahman. His longing for this and for the next world cannot be found. Free from longing, unshackled, he's what I call a Brahman. His attachments, his homes, cannot be found. He, through knowing, is unperplexed, has reached a footing in the deathless. He's what I call a Brahman. He has gone beyond attachment here for both merit and evil, sorrowless, dustless, and pure. He's what I call a Brahman. Spotless, pure like the moon, limpid and calm. He delights his becomings, totally gone. He is what I call a Brahman, meaning a becomings associated with attachment to certain things that are delightful. He has made his way past this hard-going path, delusion, wandering on, meaning reincarnation. He's crossed over, has gone beyond, is free from want, from perplexity, free from perplexity, absorbed in jhana through no clinging, no upadana, unbound, he's what I call a Brahman. Whoever, abandoning sensual pleasures or passions here, would go forth from home, his sensual passions, becomings, totally gone, right? Free from these two types of, um, of, of becoming, these two types of craving, craving for sensual passion, craving for becoming. Those are two of the core forms of dhana. He's what I call a Brahman. Whoever, abandoning craving, tana, here, would go forth from home, his cravings, becomings, totally gone, he's what I'd call a Brahman. Having left behind the human bond, having made his way past the divine, from all bonds unshackled, he's what I call a Brahman. Having left behind delight and displeasure, cooled with no acquisitions, a hero, virya, who has conquered all the world, every world. He is what I call a Brahman. He knows in every way beings passing away, and their re-arising, unattached, awakened, well gone. He is what I call a Brahman. And here's where we get into Gautama's three knowledges, the three knowledges that come uh, for a Buddha that are hell, are here being compared to the three Vedas. Three Vedas, <laughs> much less uh, mm, critical knowings, knowledges, or fields of knowledge than the types of three knowledges that a Buddha has. Uh, because this is the first one, is basically knowing the, the uh, death and rebirth cycle uh, in real time of beings. That's one of the three. So he knows in every way beings passing away and they're re-arising unattached, awake, awakened, well gone, he's what I call a Brahman. 
he whose course they don't know, devas and gandabas and human beings don't know what the course of a Buddha, his effluence, asravas, ended in arahant. He is what I call a Brahmin. He who has nothing, in front, behind, in between, the one with nothing, who clings to no thing, he is what I call a Brahmin, a splendid bull, conqueror, hero, great seer, free from want, awakened, washed, he is what I call a Brahmin. He knows his former lives, he sees heavens and states of woe, has attained the ending of birth, he is what I call a Brahmin. <coughs> this is a long sutta, my, my, my. So I don't know why Gautama has so much to say here. He must have been in a good mood. For this, he goes on, and I'll do my best. For this is a convention in the world. The name and clan determined come into being from common consent. Here and there determined. Meaning humans determine by, by common consent. Uh, or convention, uh, who is of certain name and of and of uh, category or classification, taking a position unknowingly for a long time obsessively, those who don't know say that one is a Brahmin by birth. That's a direct criticism of those that hold that view. Not by birth is one a Brahmin. Not by birth a non-Brahmin. By action is one a Brahmin. By action is one a non-Brahmin. By action is one a farmer, by action is one a craftsman, or a merchant, a servant, a thief, a soldier, a sacrificer, a king. By action one is that, and by action, you know, one is not. The wise see action in this way as it has come to be, seeing dependent co-arising, paticca meaning the chain, the 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 chain of links that uh, go from craving and ignorance to rebirth, endless reincarnation, associated with 12 links. The wise see action in this way as it has come to be, seeing dependent co-arising, cognizant of action's results. Through action, the world rolls on. It's a lovely line here. Through action, the world rolls on. People roll on through action. In action are beings held together, as, a, as in a linchpin, a chariot traveling along. Through austerity, the holy life, through restraint and self-control, that's how one is a Brahmin. That's a Brahmin unexcelled. Consummate in the three knowledges, not the three Vedas. Further becoming ended, at peace. No, Vaseta, that's Brahma, that's Saka, for those who directly know. Meaning these are kings of gods or superior level Devic beings, Saka, Brahma. And so there's Brahma the god and then Brahman, Brahman the people um, as a class of, you know, one of the castes. Consummate in the three knowledges, further becoming ended at peace. No, Vaseta, that's Brahma, that's Saka. The, the gods you may worship, for those who directly know. When, was, when this was said, the young Brahmins Vaseta and Bharadvaja said to the Blessed One, Magnificent, Master Gautama, magnificent, just as if he were to place upright what was overturned, to reveal what was hidden, 
to show the way to one who was lost, or to carry a lamp into the dark so that those with eyes could see forms. In the same way has Master Gautama, through many lines of reasoning, made the Dhamma clear. We go to Master Gautama for refuge, to the Dhamma, and to the Sangha of monks. May Master Gautama remember us as lay followers who have gone for refuge from this day forward for life. And so this was, again, as the first of three teachings to Vaiseta, uh, he became a lay person here in the next um, major teaching that uh, uh, of the other two suttas. One was where he joined the order, became a monk, and the last was when he became an arahant. So he was certainly very receptive. And so uh, let me, we may be able to complete this today. So let me uh, do some commentary and conclude this uh, uh, the three knowledges of the Vedic tradition that he um, Vasita refers to grammarian philologist or philology uh, disputation <laughs> recitation um, basically um, spiritual knowledge and information and that is contrasted down the line with Gautama's um, <clears throat> three knowledges. That's note 11. The forms in these verses, meaning towards the end of the sutta, correspond to the three knowledges that comprise the Buddha's awakening. And so this is what you can look forward to when you're leaving the octave. Oh, knowledge of previous lives, meaning all of them. Knowledge of how beings, how beings pass away and are reborn in various levels of being. So, when beings leave one plane, 31 planes, leaving one to go to another after the death of the form, Gautama or a Buddha, and certain arhats and, and certain adepts can see that. They can see the passage of the life stream, uh, consciousness stream, out of a body into another form or body in uh, another dimension or the same. Thirdly, knowledge of the ending of the effluence ashravas that maintain the process of birth. It's in this verse, Tanasaro says, that the Buddha redefines the three knowledges claimed by Vasita and Bhadravaja, showing that they don't qualify as masters of the three knowledges that constitute the knowledge of a genuine Brahman in his eyes. And so, uh, and you can, can, you know, understand what's more important. <laughs> Knowing your past lives, and seeing directly how beings transmigrate from one body to another, one dimension to another, and then knowing that one's um, karmic predilections and form various, various tendencies of clinging, grasping, aversion, ignorance, unwholesome roots, and um, kleshas and all that, knowing that that's gone, knowing that I'm free from all... Uh, ignorance-based tendencies of grasping and aversion. Isn't that more important than, than uh, Sanskrit grammar? <laughs> Isn't it more important than philology? Isn't knowing that you freed yourself, that one's, one's being, uh, I is free of, of all that, more important than learning um, the history of uh, Brahmanical uh, traditions and uh, these Vedic knowledges 
And and I guess the the Brahmins who argue against would say no. <laughs> you're talking fiction, or we can get that too. Only in our way can we get what you're talking about. Maybe, or only by our three knowledges can we have the attainment you're talking about. Maybe. So there are all sorts of ways that humans argue for their their preferences or. or have formulated opinion in support of, of, of desire or belief. Uh, and that's why Ross said understanding is not of your density. Because uh, honestly, um, there are countless rebuttals that Brahmins could make to Gautama here. I'm not saying they're right. Who's right? What's right? Well, <laughs> you know, very some very intelligent people say things um, that I could say are wrong. Some very unintelligent people can believe certain things that I think are right. They can't argue them, but they may be right. And the one that's brilliant and uh, a rhetorician, rhetorical uh, master of debate, um, may brilliantly argue a certain point and objectively it's wrong. (laughs) And so, what's right and wrong? Well, um, understanding is not of this density. What's right supports my long-term welfare and benefit. What's wrong uh, harms uh, me and you in the long run. What's good supports uh, seven chakra development. What's bad doesn't, maybe. This is a certain way of looking at what's true. Because what's good and bad or right and wrong is akin to the discussion of what's uh, true and false. So right and wrong is true and false. And we can presume that living in the true that's right uh, is good, <laughs> while living uh, in one's mind and one's beliefs and one's action according to coming out of activity, coming out of belief, that's in what's so-called wrong and false is bad. <laughs> eh? But again, what's, what's sukha dukkha is very subtle, actually. Somebody um, loses their home uh, and then has a massive spiritual awakening because of detachment from material material dependencies. Was that home burning good karma or bad karma? <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty painful. I would assume it's bad, but yet the person uses it in such a um, admirable way so then it was good karma Uh, it's very slippery same thing with right and wrong and so um, there are countless uh, just because Gautama said it doesn't mean that it's right just because um, others can argue against it uh, doesn't mean they're right Um, just because uh, any position can be well supported doesn't mean it's right and so, but it does seem to me, yes, <laughs> that knowing one's past lives and being able to see how beings transmigrate through bodies and dimensions, and particularly, actually, knowledge of the ending of the effluence that maintain process of birth, right? The end of asravas. And they sustain, from the Wikipedia, asravas sustain karmic flow. Uh, so there's kamasava, meaning the uh, effluent, effluent is kind of again a weird word. I call them mental, distorted mental flow, or karmic predilection, karmic propensity. 
um, ignorance ignorance tendencies, avidya avidya tendencies towards associated with sensuality, associated with existence, and then associated with ignorance. I mean, they're all <laughs> of ignorance. And then there's ditasava or <clears throat> karmic distorted tendencies regarding view, dita, right? Like the opposite being samadita, samaditi, right view. So all of these tendencies, attachments at this level, which includes, you know, the central pleasure again includes interpersonality, interpersonal relations, and then becoming baba, and then based in ignorance. Again, there are all these different ways, the Buddhist lists of lists, uh, all these different classifications um, associated with understanding mind or what's helpful and unhelpful, right? Good and bad, wholesome, unwholesome, um, or, or divisions that could be, that are relative and could be made in other, could, could, that, are, that are not fixed divisions. <clears throat> Some of them, I think, are more universal than others, like um, the three unwholesome roots, grasping, aversion, ignorance, um, plus, minus, and neutral, right? Taking, rejecting, and um, a distorted um, stasis, or stasis as distortion. These are uh, tendencies of mind um, that not only create uh, karmic binding, but um, are, I would say, um, mathematically <laughs> or metaphysically resonant with some of the laws that, that came uh, with the creation of an octave, meaning the, the nature of light uh, that is vibratory has either, has two modes. Uh, there are many ways of looking at this. There are many ways of looking at everything. One way of looking at light as vibratory energy is that there are two modes. There's action, there, there's motion and stillness. Uh, motion is grasping aversion. Stillness is ignorance. Now, I'm not saying that light is distortion. Although, <laughs> light is a concept. And Ron talked about the illusion of limits born of the concept of light in the octave, meaning the whole octave, the all, is a vibratory illusion. You are dancing thoughts. Dancing means vibra vibratory. Thoughts means um, mind born. And so, uh, <laughs> is it nama or is it rupa? Well, it's all nama rupa, meaning any recognition of matter, so-called outside, is done by mind or so-called inside. Right? Any notion of objective is born of the subjective. And so the, the division of matter and mind or uh, nama rupa, name, form, inner, outer, self, other, subject, object, is illusory because they're born together. They're basically um, two, a two that's a one. Likewise, uh, motion and stillness is, a, is an apparent two that's a one. Likewise, grasping and aversion or fire and water, or water and fire, right? Grasping is pulling in and holding. Aversion is kicking out and keeping out. Water, fire, uh, yin, yang, is a two that's also a one. All the twos are really one, and the nature of the one is infinity. And so, um, being free, some again, some of these Buddhist listings 
are um, not not uh, not resonant with uh, cosmic metaphysics, and some of them are very much so. So the three poisons or three unwholesome roots, grasping, aversion, ignorance, as the three ways of um, further karmic binding. Um, ignorance in this case is sort of secondary ignorance, not tenth fetter ignorance. Uh, these three unwholesome roots are resonant with the very nature of the light that is the substance or nature of all dimensional experience. And so sometimes you're going to see that, and so sometimes these various listings um, are resonant with cosmology, and sometimes they're not. So likewise, um, the three forms of craving, or when we talk about craving for sensual pleasure, craving for existence, craving for non-existence, is craving for the Triloka. It's Triloka craving. <laughs> Ta triloka Tana, meaning the Kama, kama Loka, ba, uh, Rupa Loka, Arupa Loka, which uh, really does correspond, as far as I can tell, uh, to um, third density, Kama, Kamaloka, uh, physical and non-physical, and then fourth and fifth density, Rupa Loka, and then sixth and seventh density as Arupa Loka. However, there's some, you have to get into the, the subtleties of that. It may be that some aspects of uh, upper sixth density get into, the, the lower, upper sixth density is the top of Rupa Loka, actually. So, anyway where the, <laughs> it's for specialists. But I'm just saying, sometimes these Buddhist teachings, the lists, the many lists, seem to have a correlation with uh, a, a universal metaphysics, the cosmological metaphysics, metaphysical cosmology, and sometimes they don't. And yet the point again is, what's more valuable? To, to know Sanskrit grammar and philology and the history of ritual development or knowing the ending of all the tendencies to keep us by, bound to reincarnation. And that's where Buddhism is, is superlative uh, to me. Um, all of it, regardless of what yana means, meaning the mayana or vajrayana, even though they have all sorts of other things going on, uh, Buddhism is focused on the Four Noble Truths, which is there's a problem <laughs> called dukkha, and uh, it has causes, and yet there's a solution, and it too has causes or a path to the solution. That's it. Oh. And that's not, um, it doesn't mean you need to believe in God or you don't. It doesn't mean you need to become a monk or even a layman. It doesn't mean you have to believe anything. It just means, yeah, <laughs> there is a problem, and problems like everything, like all, has cause, causes, and there is a solution to the problem, and there are causes that, that are called the way to the solution, the path, <laughs> the Eightfold Path. And whether you um, believe in God, or believe in me, or you, or th this group, this teacher, this discipline, this pattern, there are um, ways of thinking, and speaking, and acting that support us towards this liberation, and there are ways of activity that don't. And it doesn't matter who you're born as or where you're born. It doesn't matter what your body looks like. It doesn't matter what your gender is, male, female, or biology, sex. It doesn't matter. All that stuff doesn't matter, really. What matters is 
the ability to continue working towards the solution of the problem, which is uh, the problem of dukkha, uh, that is then associated with continual or, or nearly endless uh, long going round and round in reincarnation. Uh, and yet there's a way out. And yet for us wanderers or from those that are, I think, seasoned on the path, well seasoned along the way, we've been up and down the mountain many times actually, there's a value to um, illusory experience. It's very creative. <laughs> of course, that's all illusory. Uh, but there's a value to the octave. I mean, the Logos didn't make the octave for all beings to escape as soon as possible. Boom. That's my rebuttal to the Buddhist view. The Logos didn't make the octave for all beings to get the hell out of as soon as possible. The Logos made the octave for its own experience of uh, light display, uh, illusion of limits, um, experience um, of dukkha sukha, sukha dukkha, um, so that it can know itself better and um, be itself more fully. Uh, and within that, it's very fair that some beings want to get out as soon as possible, and other beings want to taste it more. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> let's just see. I think I might discipline myself and finish this in ten minutes or so. Uh, so we have from the start <clears throat> the distinction between the Brahma, Brahmanic, or the Vedic knowledge, the three Vedas, versus um, Gautama's coming down t at the end. And... <clears throat> um, see. In terms of the aspects of Gautama's answer, which I think are the most important portion of the sutta, of course, um, animals are divided by species uh, and morphology, <clears throat> and we really can't do that with humans. So he's not a racist, and he doesn't seem to care about skin color. So um, animals can be divided by species, but we can't do that with people. And because the distinguishing markings or the critical classification of animals uh, of species are made by nature, not the same as with humans where uh, distinguishing marks <clears throat> or I would say essential basis of cla for classification is not made by nature, it's made by self, <laughs> it's made by mind, it's made by action. That's the point. And so in human beings, that's not found individually in their bodies. Uh, their identification is described in terms of convention. Okay, So we go out of second density to third from the animal classification based on species or morphology and body to the human classification based not on body but on social activity by action. Now you could say that humans can be classified according to orientation. Right? Service to others, service to self, and non-oriented. Fine. That's just a little more subtle here. He's focusing on activity and social function. So craftsman, tradesman, king, thief, <laughs> soldier, priest, blah, blah, blah. And so, uh, whoever among human beings partakes or makes a living this way or that way, that's how we call him. 
again, that's not even the only way, because a, uh, a Brahmin would say, yes, he's a Brahmin farmer, <clears throat> superior to a non-Brahmin farmer. What do you say to that? Well, <clears throat> uh, superiority is based on conduct. They say, no, superiority is based on birth, and that's the end of the discussion, because there's no reconciliation, actually. <clears throat> uh, so what is uh, Brahmin, according to Gautama? And so there's a long, long list of qualities of awakened mind, qualities of, of, awake, of, of liberation, of, of the liberated one. In general, he's speaking of an Arhan or a Buddha, but we can say that these are qualities that are progressively developed along the way. And again, as I said, uh, measuring how I fare, measure my self-measurement to these ideals is useful to some degree. Uh, at least it's useful for me. So, <clears throat> Gautama's critical teaching. I don't call one a Brahmin for being born of a mother or sprung from a womb. Meaning you're not a sage, you're not a saint, you're not a great being because you came out of a human womb, whatever the womb was. So what? But someone with nothing who clings to no thing, he's what I call a Brahmin. And so now we're talking about the nature of, of freedom. Having cut every fetter, the ten fetters, he doesn't get ruffled, beyond attachment, unshackled, having cut the strap and the thong and the cord and the bridle, having thrown off the bar, the bar on your head called ignorance or avidya, tenth fetter, having cut all these bindings, uh, which we delight in to some degree, except for the fact that it is painful. Much of, you know, all of what we cherish and delight in also binds us, also has its dukkha. So that's called sukha dukkha. So all of our sukha has stress or dukkha. That doesn't mean we should drop it, it just means that we should, that that's the metaphysical reality. Yeah, it's all bittersweet. In this dimension, it's all bittersweet because this mind is um, very limited. Yet, you know, freedom is possible. So beyond attachment, unshackled, thrown off the bar, and then how one is um, in the world, he endures unangered insult and assault and imprisonment. His army is strength, his strength is forbearance. He can persevere. He can put up with it. Santi, uh, peace or long, long-suffering or it's not really long-suffering. It's basically persistence, uh, suffering the slings and arrows of um, social activity <laughs> and incarnation embodiment itself. So we just have to um, accept, you know, like I said, we're not here on vacation. This is a business trip. And... Um, don't expect too much. Don't try to make heaven on earth unless you're willing to, you know, um, have a lot of challenge. If you like it, go ahead. But um, I wouldn't try to uh, hit home runs every day. <laughs> and that's the... You know, I, I would be realistic. <laughs> there, is a, there are certain hard-wired hard limitations to uh, joy and pleasure in this dimension, in this body, actually. So, uh, but, but forbearance or um, calm abiding, we can say, uh, in the face of uh, distortion is a great ability, a great quality. Free from anger, duties observed, meaning do your danda, principled, 
Are you, do you have principles? Do you know what your principles are? Can you identify people around you who have principles and those that don't? Can you identify what the troublemaker is guided by? Can you identify what the admirable, the ones uh, worthy, you know, the respectable, those that we rightly look up to or admire, what principles they observe? Um, are we clear about that? With no overbearing pride, he's trained a last body. Like water on a lotus leaf, mustard seed on the tip of an awl, he doesn't adhere to sensual pleasures. Uh, mustard seed on the tip of an awl <laughs> is a, quite a balancing act. <clears throat> don't adhere to sensual pleasures doesn't mean don't feel sensual pleasures. It means don't hanker, don't Tom hanker towards sensualism. I mean, sensualism is lovely, and um, there's uh, another, there's a dukkha in the sukkha. Of course, there's a dukkha in all sukkha. In fact, it's never sukkha, dukkha. It's always a matter of sukkha, dukkha, or dukkha, sukkha, meaning it's either sweet, bitter, or bittersweet. Always, actually. The whole octave is that way, in fact. I mean, the nature of experience is always, um, there's, for every up, there's a down. <laughs> for every expansion, there's a contraction. For every smile, there's a frown. Actually, that's why the greatest ones don't smile or frown. Mm. Sometimes called beyond uh, love and f beyond uh, love and hate, but it's uh, fourth ray love is uh, not well understood. So I wouldn't say it's beyond love. It's the love that's beyond grasping for the pre for preference. Beyond the grasping for um, beyond grasping, uh, at best. Again, I, you know, I'm no expert, so I'm just learning along here too. Like the mustard tip, mustard seed on the tip of an awl, um, a very delicate position. Don't adhere to central pleasures, yet don't ex don't reject them. Don't hanker, and um, don't salivate, or if you salivate, at least bring a napkin. Um, don't um, don't overflow your napkins with your salivation <laughs> for sensual pleasures, you know. Moderately salivate, uh, but that is means don't adhere to, means uh, don't get into trouble. And yet there are times when we're very adhered to sensual pleasures, <clears throat> like fascial adhesions in the gut, uh, second third chakra blockage. Um, there are times of, of getting real stuck, maybe lifetimes, stages of lifetimes, and hopefully we'll learn from it and pull out eventually and then no longer be interested in that adhesion. He discerns right here for himself on his own, his own ending of dukkha. you got to do it yourself. It's your own. Um, for himself on his own, his own ending of stress. Tanasaro says three different ways that the word atano functions in the verse. It's actually very interesting. He's a great translator, Tanasaro, I have to say. Unshackled, his burden laid down. Um, shackles is a burdening. Uh, what we can't, um, what, 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 what to, to, that to which we're attached uh, binds us. We're bound by our attachments which is basically various forms of clinging, which is, you know, <laughs> sensual and relational 
and ideational or belief-based. No, it's this way, not your way. Or spiritual practice-based. This is the practice. This is the only right practice. Or I've got to stay with this practice because I've been doing it for five, ten years. You mean there's another practice that's better for me? I can't accept that. So any kind of adhesion or clinging is a, uh, is a shackling, whether it's physical or relational, emotional, um, stuck with certain emotions we can't give up. Maybe we're afraid of something, and so we can't give up our fear. Shackled to fear or uh, fear-based avoidance. Shackled to avoidant tendencies, meaning psychological defenses, meaning I don't want to feel this or see that. I don't want certain thinking and feeling. That's a shack internal shackling. Shackling to avoidance. And a low sense of self. Uh, a damaged sense of self potency. So uh, there are countless <laughs> shackles uh, that we set up for ourselves, yet that is a burden and it all can be laid down. Wise, deeply discerning, astute as to what is the path and what's not. Right, so spending 10 years studying Sanskrit philology is not the path. It may be useful, and if you love it, you love it. And it may be a use. It may be useful as a kind of um, um, yana yoga, even, <laughs> practice, or karma yoga, yana yoga, a way of developing, um, not focusing necessarily on practice, but one's career as one's practice, but it, de it includes then concentration and the capacity for equanimity and then clarity and then clear values and knowing what's important and what's not or what's positive and beneficial and what's not. One can certainly be a, a scholar or a, a truck driver and learn deeply, of course, but this learn deeply is the same regardless of role. So the role doesn't matter. The social position or role doesn't matter. What matters is how one, how well one orders um, catalyst or uh, meets catalyst or life experience or learns and grows from life, which really means uh, critically what is the path and what's not. What is of development and further, further benefit and what's not. Uh, Let's do this time. I'm going to wrap up fast. Uncontaminated, just a few phrases for your delec delection, uh, your, uh, <laughs> for your consideration. Uncontaminated by householders. Don't be contaminated by the distortions. Just don't, just don't um, get stuck in the deluding views of others. Don't accept the deluding views of others, said Lin Chi. Uncontaminated by householders and houseless ones alike. Don't get... Don't get um, harmed by the delusive views of spiritual people. Don't be stuck by, uh, don't be trapped by false gurus and false teachings, as well as limited understandings of uh, spiritually minded people around us. Living with no home, next to no wants. It's interesting he didn't say no wants, because there are certain things maybe people want, nearly no. And so a natural diminution or reduction of desire. Put aside, having put aside violence against beings fearful or firm. It's interesting. So not harming anyone, uh, whether they are strong or weak. He neither kills nor gets others to kill. Unopposing, this is also nice phrases, 
unopposing among opposition, unbound among the armed, unclinging among those who cling. So while the people around us are arguing and, and in an oppositional way, we can be unopposing. It doesn't mean a dupe, and it doesn't mean stepped on, and it doesn't mean uh, weak. It just means not engaging in um, disputation and oppositionalism. Unbound among the armed, they're armed, that means they're bound. <laughs> they're bound with their weapons of mind or physical. Um, aggressive, so non-aggressive among the aggressive. Unclinging among the clinging. And so um, relatively um, non-grasping or non-grasping um, among those who are. <laughs> Very interesting. So passion, aversion, conceit, contempt, all that fallen away. He says, and this is about right speech, there's all sorts of different aspects of, of sila and uh, the eight samas here. Uh, eight, the eight forms of, eight principles of the Eightfold Path. He would say, meaning he speaks that which is non-grating, instructive and true, abusing no one. He takes nothing not given. This is a, so, you know, against wrong speech and then against wrong action or stealing. He takes nothing not given, no matter what it is. Uh, his longing for this and the next world can't be found. He's free from longing. So, uh, can be relatively peaceful here and now. That doesn't mean one doesn't know where one's going. That just means one's relatively in equanimity, more or less. Uh, here and now. He, through knowing, is unperplexed, has reached a footing in the deathless. And that's, of course, the end of the path. Um, the deathless is what isn't born. Uh, and this is a nice phrase, a footing in the deathless. Uh, spotless, pure like the moon, limpid and calm, his delights, his becomings, totally gone. Um, that doesn't mean he's miserable. <laughs> it means he's not uh, dancing... Uh, plucking, uh, plucking plums, uh, and then salivating all over the garden. So he's made his way past this hard-going path. Mm, it's a hard-going path of, of reincarnation in the octave. He's made his way past this hard-going path, delusion, wandering on, the wanderers wandering on, or all souls reincarnating. He's gone over, or he's crossed over, gone beyond, free from want, meaning beyond clinging, craving, free from perplexity, meaning no ignorance, absorbed in jhana through no clinging, no upadana. He's unbound. And so, made his way past the human and past the divine, having left behind the human bond, having made his way past the divine, beyond the divine. How about that? Meaning higher dimensional rupa, arupaloka. And then for a Buddha, he whose course they don't know, the devas, the gandhavas, the human beings, nobody knows. And that's another matter, is uh, the more we know, the more the many won't know what we know. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm better. It just means that uh, these eyes are open to seeing more. And other eyes that see less, because they haven't made the effort, um, can see less of the greater span that I keep learning to see. I'm seeing more and more, and they therefore see relatively less and less of what I'm seeing more and more. So that's called standing alone.
the solution or the experience as much standing alone. He who has nothing in front, behind, in between, one with nothing, who clings to no thing. Uh, and that's the key. So I'm not going to go beyond this one class on this, even though we can get into all the details in further detail. Uh, I would just simply say that Gautama's focus uh, on action is um, itself an outgrowth of a critical principle um, that, that he presents towards the end of the sutta here, uh, talking about how it's action that makes, the, makes a being. The wise see action in this way as it has come to be, seeing dependent co-arising, cognizant of actions, results. Through action, the world rolls on. People roll on through action. In action, are beings held together temporarily, as in a linchpin, as a chariot going along. Then, through austerity, the holy life, restraint, and self-control, that's how one's a Brahmin. Uh, through action, the world rolls on. People roll on through action. So, uh, speech and behavior is, you know, the heart of action, and the basis, of course, is thought. And the basis of that is core belief and sense of self and view, view of self and world and universe and purpose. So look to the mind to purify action. Look to the action uh, as to the basis of one's future. So uh, that's kind of important. So that's all I'll do for today. Uh, and next week we'll continue um, the next sutta down the line, which is Kokalika, Kokalika Sutta, a follower follower of Devadatta, slanders Shariputra, Venerable Shariputra, and Venerable Moggallana, the two senior disciples. Follower of Devadatta slanders Shariputra and Moggallana, and after suffering a painful disease, falls into hell. This Sutta then gives a graphic description of the sufferings awaiting him there. Good. So we'll see what hell is about. Hell is uh, very real. It's uh, very real. I've visited. I've been there. I know. And uh, more than a few um, fascistic, fanatical humans um, here in all sorts of countries at all sorts of levels of society are preparing themselves to go back to hell after this life is over, which is interesting. I will see them there and um, <laughs> offer the ambulance uh, some support. Um, um, Earth humans have never really um, been able to free their attachment to third density um, distortion much. Anyway, uh, I hope that's useful, and it's a good sutta, very deep, and on and on. Uh, that's it for today. Um, thank you for being here. I hope everybody's well. Take good care of yourselves, and good night.